What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. But coming back to the point here, which was from 1 Peter 1.11, the spirit of Christ which was in them. So both David and Isaiah were very aware that they had the spirit of Christ living in them, just like we have. There's no difference. 1 Corinthians 3.16, Know you not that ye are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you? They knew they were the temple of God. They knew they knew that. They, know that. they knew that they had the Spirit of God dwelling in them. They knew the Spirit of Christ was testifying them of the sufferings of Christ. And then it says in 1 Peter 1.12, 1 Peter 1.12, it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto us. This statement tells us that both David, when he wrote Psalm 22, Isaiah, when he wrote Isaiah 53, they knew they were not writing for their own benefit. They were writing for us. God revealed that to David and Isaiah, that they were writing their prophecies about the suffering of the Messiah for our benefit. They knew that. They knew that they were going to help generations to come about in writing these details. When you meet them, you tell them thank you for writing all that for us. And sixth, in 1 Peter 1.12, 1 Peter 1.12, it says, which things the angels desire to look into. That statement tells us that there was a me too aspect of what they were writing. In other words, as David and Isaiah were writing these things, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, the angels weren't passively sitting by, but they were looking and observing this whole process of the Spirit of Christ inside of them, causing them to write in advance of the sufferings, and the angels were, were seeing all this, and they were asking God for more information, more information. They also wanted to know when this was going to happen. So the angels chime in, me too, me too. I want to know more details about the sufferings of the Messiah. And the reason the angels joined in with David wanting to know more about the sufferings is because of this arresting cry that starts off this whole psalm when it says, when, when this cry of, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because from that cry, it's very clear that the Lord Jesus is standing before the judgment seat of God. He's standing before the bema, 
The Lord Jesus is standing in the court of God, and God is judging him. And as the Lord Jesus is standing there and being accused, he cries out, my God, my God, why? And with that one word, why, with that one word, why, we can see that the Lord Jesus is very conscious of the fact that he's innocent. He's innocent, so he cries out, why? He's very conscious that he's lived a sinless life, like it says in Hebrews 7.26, Hebrews 7.26, where it says, such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. He cries out, why? Because he was aware that he was holy, harmless, and undefiled and separate from sinners. So he cries, why? In Hebrews 4.15, Hebrews 4.15, it speaks about, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He cries out, why? Because he's aware that he was without sin, so he cries out, why? So Hebrews 9.14, Hebrews 9.14 says, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So he cries out, why? Because he's aware that he's without spot to God. And he says, why? And in Isaiah 53.9, Isaiah 53.9, where it says he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he, did, he had done no violence, neither was there deceit in his mouth. He's aware. He knows. I've done no violence. I've never said anything that's deceitful. He cries, why? And when he's crucified, the thief next to him looks at him and says in Luke 23, 41, Luke 23, 41, he looks at him and he says, we indeed justly suffer for we have the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing amiss. And he knows that as he's standing in verse one crying out, why? Because he's aware that all through his life he's never done anything wrong. The centurion watches him die in Luke 23, 47, Luke 23, 47. And the centurion looks at him and says, certainly this was a righteous man. And he knows that he's aware of that. And he knows that he's a righteous man. And so he cries, why? And the Lord said in, in John 8, 29, John 8, 29, he that sent me is with me and the father hath not left me alone for I do always those things that, that please him. He's aware that he pleased the Father all through his life. He cries out, why? He said there that the Father never left him alone, but he's leaving him alone now. And he cries out, why? In 2 Corinthians 5.21, 2 Corinthians 5.21, it speaks about he who knew no sin was, was made sin for us. He's aware. He's aware that he, he has no knowledge of sin. He doesn't know what that feeling is of, uh, of doing something wrong and the flood of guilt and shame comes over and the feeling of defilement. He, he's totally unaware of that. He doesn't know that because he knew no sin. And so in verse one, he cries out, why? Because he never experiences, why? It says about him in 1 John 3, 5, 1 John 3, 5, you know that he was manifested to take away our sins and in him is no sin. He's aware of that, that there's no sin in him. So he cries out in verse 1, why? He knew all this about himself. When he cries out in verse 1, why? And with that one word, why? He's crying out. What he's saying is, you remember he looked at his enemies? He looked at his enemies in, in John 8, 46. 
in John 8, 46, and he says, which one of you convinceth me of sin? Which one of you convinces me of sin? We can imagine him scanning with his eyes all of his enemies there and saying, which one? Which one of you and which sin are you there? With that one question, he's asking his enemies, bring on the charge. What is the charge against me? What is the charge? And so now he's crying, why? He's crying, why to God? Because he's saying, what new charge is being brought against me? What is it? So now he's suffering. He cries out to God with that cry. He's asking God what he asked his enemies. What is my charge? What am I guilty of? Why have I been forsaken? Why is God so far from me? Why are my prayers not being heard? So, But this is a cry of suffering that's different from the cries of suffering in the Bible because the cries of suffering in the Bible are like Psalm 38.3. Psalm 38.3, where David, speaking of himself, says, There's no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. Because of my sin. Neither is there any rest in my bone because of our, my sin. Very important four words, because of my sin. This is typically the cry from suffering. Typically the cry from suffering always has these four words, because of my sin. How many calamities have we had in our life, or do we have in our lives, that is because of our sin? Shouldn't say always, but most typically. And this is an example here. It's a Psalm 38.3. Neither is there any rest in my bones. Because of my sin, the Lord spoke of his bones. He said, all my bones were out of joint. In verse 14, but the Lord did not say, all my, my bones are out of joint because of my sin. Because he didn't have any sin. And that's the reason why he cries, Why? If I had no sin, then why? The Lord cries out, why? That's a great question. Why would a person who's never done one little sin suffer like that? Why? And the answer comes. The answer comes from a Hebrew word, a common Hebrew word that's used over 500 times in the Bible. And most notably, this word is used when Abraham's knife was about to be plunged into Isaac right into Isaac's chest. And God stopped Abraham in Genesis 22, Genesis 22, 12. And Genesis 22, 12, he said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Abraham sees the ram. He takes Isaac off the altar. And instead of plunging the knife into Isaac's chest, the ram goes on the altar and he plunges the knife into the ram. And just as the ram took Isaac's place under the knife, so the Lord Jesus has taken the sinner's place under the knife, and the Lord Jesus is in the stead of sacrifice. And what was done here is all tied up in this word, in the stead of. A very common word, takat, 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 which is translated in the stead of. But it means under. It means under. So if you looked at the knife in Abraham's hand, then the meaning of 
tachat, or under, becomes clear. Isaac was tachat, or under, Abraham's knife. It was about to be plunged into him. And that is symbolic of Isaac being under the judgment of God for his sins. That's symbolic of you. That's symbolic of me being under the judgment of God for our sins. And the knife of God is raised over man. It's ready to be plunged in. But instead, but instead, it's going to be plunged into man because of man's sin. But then the ram is seen. And so Abraham lifts Isaac out from tachat, out from under his knife, and puts the ram tachat under Abraham's knife. And this is the answer in verse 1 to the question, why? Why? Because of tachat. Tachat is the answer to why. Why? Tachat. Why was the Lord put to the suffering? Because like Isaac, we were lifted from being in the position of tachat under the knife, under the judgment knife, like the ram, and the ram was put on there and, and under the judgment knife, and the Lord took our place tachat under the judgment of God. That's the answer to the question of verse 1. Why? For no sins of his own, but for our sins, God the Father took us off the altar and put the Lord Jesus on the altar in our place. And that's the answer to the question. Why? Because of a word used in the Bible called imputed. Imputed. Now, we're familiar with imputed when we read Romans 4.20, Romans 4.20, which says about Abraham, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what God had promised, God was able to perform. Therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God, and God imputed to Abraham, righteousness. That's true for every believer. When he believes God, he confesses his sin, he turns from his sin, he receives the Lord Jesus as his Savior, God imputes to him the righteousness of Christ. And we love to think about that, how God imputes to us the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. God imputes to us the righteousness of the Lord Jesus, but have you ever thought of what was imputed to the Lord Jesus? What was imputed to the Lord Jesus was our guilt, our guilt, our shame, our sin. His righteousness imputed to us, our guilt imputed to him. And when our guilt was imputed to him, in verse 1, he cries out, why? For no sins of his own, but for his own sins. He was forsaken by God. And, and why did God impute our guilt and sins on the Lord Jesus? Because of Romans 8.31. Romans 8.31, God before us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him us for, up for us all. So our sins, our guilt, that's imputed on, on God the Son because God is for us. Kind of works like this. God the Father could not spare his son and save the sinner. Couldn't. If God the Father had spared the son then God could not save the sinner. So God was faced with this grave decision. This was a real tension for God the Father. What's he going to do? Spare his son and not save the sinner? Or spare not his son and save the sinner? One's got to die. One must die. One or the other must die. And 
God chose this option to spare not his son so that he could save us sinners. This is just a little personal. It's a little personal because we're the sinner. We're the sinner that's involved in God's decision. So, so let's just make that really clear that God the Father was faced with the decision, spare his son and let you and I die in hell, be cast into hell, or, or, or save you and I and let God the Son die. And can't you just see God the Father? He's laboring, he's agonizing over this decision. Should I spare my son and let the sinner die? Or, or should I save the sinner and let my son die? And when God chose this option for his son to die and the sinner, us, to be saved, there was such a cry from heaven that rang out, that rang out. John 3, 16, for God so loved, he made the decision, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. And when that came time, it came time for God to actually follow through and spare not, spare not then his son cries out in verse 1, why, why? Why did God forsake his son on the cross so that he might not forsake us? Why did God forsake his son on the cross? It was so that Jesus of Nazareth would be totally alone. Have you ever thought about that? When he cried out, why hast thou forsaken me? Why did God forsake him? So that Jesus would be totally alone without the help of God. Why are, you're, you're, why are we so far from helping me? He was alone without the help of God. And he goes into battle with Satan alone, without the help of God. And when the Lord cries out in, in verse 1 here, why art thou so far from helping me? It shows us he did not have the help of God when he went into battle against Satan. This was so different from what you and I know in, in life. It's so different from what he knew in his life. What we said in John 8, 29, he says, the Father hath not left me alone. Before this point, he could say, the Father hath not left me alone from John 8, 29. But now he is alone. He is forsaken by God. He's without the help of God. He's all alone. And now all alone, Jesus of Nazareth, without the help of God, fights Satan, and he beats Satan, and he gets the victory over Satan all alone, all by himself. That's the victory of Jesus of Nazareth, all alone, without the help of God. He cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me that we might know that he was alone, forsaken of God? He says, why art thou so far from helping me that we might know he didn't have the help of God? He was our David all alone out there in the battlefield against Goliath, Satan, the Satan Goliath. This was his own personal victory over Satan. And when we celebrate communion, we are celebrating his own personal victory over Satan, just as those in heaven celebrate his own personal victory over Satan when they repeat the words, of, of Hebrews 2.14, Hebrews 2.14, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of the death, that is the devil. We, you know how we could add something to that? Through death he might alone destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. And those in heaven, they're singing a song about this. 
about the results of this personal victory over Satan. When they sing in Revelation 20.10, Revelation 20.10, they say the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are. And in Revelation 5.9, Revelation 5.9, they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And you know what? They also could add their one word there. Thou wast slain and alone hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. When on that day... On that day of the cross, when Jesus of Nazareth got the victory over Satan on Calvary, the clock was turned back. The clock was turned back to that one day in the Garden of Eden when Jesus did what Adam could have done and should have done. When Adam, with the help of God, not alone, but with the help of God, Jesus did not have the help of God. He was forsaken by God, and the Lord Jesus made himself just like Adam, just like man. Only at the cross, the Lord Jesus actually was more vulnerable, more vulnerable than Adam was, because Adam had the help of God to resist the devil. When the Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That shows us how much more vulnerable he was than Adam because you didn't have the help of God. And in that vulnerable state that we will never be in, the Lord Jesus went in alone to fight Satan, and he won. And that's the wonderful thing. That's why I say sometimes he put the fruit back. He put the fruit back because he stood alone as a man, completely as a man, even more vulnerable than any man ever was because he was forsaken by God. He didn't have the help of God. And in that state of total vulnerability, alone without the help of God, he resists the devil, he fights the devil, he does not sin, and that's why we admire him. That's why we worship the Lord for his personal victory over Satan. And and, and not only us, we we admire him, Not, not only the saints here, but but, but, but the saints in heaven also, and the, and the angels also admire him for them. And, and the Father also rem- admires him for them. And the Father cries out in Matthew 3.17, Matthew 3.17, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. You know what that was God saying? That's my boy. That's my son right there. Look at him getting the personal victory over Satan all alone. And what's so important to see was when he cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Is that he was expressing a a shock and a dismay, but he never complained against God. He never said, God, you're wrong to forsake me. He never blamed God. He never, he, he never said, God, it's not right what you're doing. You're not, it's unjust. See, that would have been to, to accuse God. He never did that. So, so, so let's summarize all that we've learned from his cry. His cry, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? First, from that cry of my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In verse one, we learn that there was no basis for accusing him of any sin. There was no charge of any personal sin. So he cries out, why? Second, from his cry of my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In verse one, we learn that The only reason that he suffered on the cross was because of our guilt, our shame. That was imputed on him. It was imputed on him. 
You know, it was, it, 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 it was like, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the answer comes back, because you're bearing the sins of the world. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.